Hello, and welcome to the Embrace Your Destiny podcast. My name is Sandra Dawes, and I'm your host. And if you're unfamiliar with the podcast, the Embrace Your Destiny podcast is all about sharing the stories of women who have gone through a challenging time in their journey. And they're sharing their experiences, how they overcame it, the lessons they learned, and sharing advice that they would give to anybody going through something similar in their own life. And today's guest is Bumi Akinasotu, and she is a first-generation American who spent countless hours listening to her Nigerian relatives argue and debate about world politics. Though born and raised in the rebel state of Rhode Island, the idea of a world outside America has always been a part of her consciousness and is the motivation behind her podcast, What in the World? She's got lots of degrees, worked for amazing organizations, and smiles at a dope Excel spreadsheet. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Bumi is a recovering collegiate volleyball player, the world's biggest Nina Simone fan, and still has a love affair with Chicago. While she's busy trying to become America's first Nigerian-American ambassador, she works at a small international affairs nonprofit in Washington, D.C. So welcome, Bumi. Thank you so much, Sandra, to be here, and uh, thanks for the the fun introduction. Sounds different when somebody else is saying it. So, Bumi, why don't you share with me the journey that you want to talk about with our listeners today? Sure. So the journey I would like to share is one that I think, or that I know a lot of people at some point in their life will experience or have experienced, and the journey is... uh, uh, being unemployed and trying to the job um, and the experience of not only um, applying to jobs, but the interview process and dealing with the rejection and the, the just the unique um, mental, social, psychological, um, emotional impact uh, experience that you have trying to find a job. And for me, um, this was the time I had been unemployed for more six months. And so, uh, yeah, it definitely changed my perspective on life, brought life, just things about that I didn't even know. <laughs> yeah. The first time that I became unemployed. I was in a job that I didn't even like (laughs) and I wanted out, but I felt like it was almost like a relationship where you want to break up on your own terms. And so when I got let go, I was so heartbroken. But again, I think it was more an ego thing than anything else because I couldn't imagine that they didn't want me. (laughs) We didn't like you anyway. Right, yeah, it was totally one of those types of situations. <laughs> yeah, my situation was slight. I don't know how I, if I were in your, if, if that happened to me, I think I, I'd be devastated. <laughs> but my thing, um, I knew my job was going to end uh, because I was a political appointee in the Obama administration. So you take the job knowing that there's a date because fortunately America is a democracy and elections every four years, there's a cap uh, as to how many years the president can be in office, which is two. So um, I came in at the tail end of the administration knowing full well that January 
you know, 21st, 2017 would be my last day. Um, I think for me, the shock came from um, elements that were just outside of my control, right? Like, I think given the political environment of the United States, the election of uh, the current president, uh, I think that sh that election just the system the country in ways that people didn't even like realize it would, it would occur like a, you know, the job market companies, nonprofits, um, everybody just was so unsure um, about what was going to happen with the government. And because government is so tied to um, so much of what we do, um, even if you're, if you're, um, uh, nonpartisan, or if you if you don't receive government, your your many ways is is linked uh, to government in a way, be it through regulations or or something. So for for me, the shock came. It was like a double shock. It was shock of the election votes, and then the shock of the system, the country uh, trying to understand what just <laughs> what happened. Right. Well, yeah, we were dealing, we were going through that here and we are not American. So I can't imagine what it was like to, um, <laughs> to experience it firsthand. Yeah, it was, um, we'll have to do the show. I, I think there's a podcast, uh, that's out that an idea that somebody would take on, which is just like the, the psychological and emotional trauma of America after the election, uh, at least here in Washington, um, uh, where, where, you know, 99 or 98% of the, of the residents voted for, for Hillary Clinton. Um, so, you know, the, the, the emotional trauma that came with the election, uh, really, um, to experience, to live in DC, um, and experience it is one thing. Then the other thing for me, I worked in the Obama administration and, and everything I and my colleagues had worked hard at hard on um, was in jeopardy, and uh, you know it just uh, and then part of just um, you know leaving the and knowing that you're leaving your your hardworking colleagues behind, you're walking into this world that's not what you planned <laughs> uh, for it to look like. Uh, really, just it. It's, um, amplified I think the the experience that I had um looking for for work right and how was that job hunt well I'll just say in context um the summer before the election uh the White House um was very supportive of all the political appointees and making sure that we felt comfortable um, going back out to the job market, particularly for those of us who are not, you know, senior ranking officials or, uh, you know, super duper um, connected. Uh, the White House had a lot of programming. I mean, just amazing speakers outside uh, coming in to just talk to us about things like talk about your experience working for the president, talk about the work that you because sometimes it's very difficult to translate government work into uh, private sector work or nonprofit work. So, so I feel like we've given 
uh, a lot of tools um, and support to prepare us. Uh, and so I would say that the only thing for me, um, I think I, I, I sort of drank, drank the Kool-Aid about, you know, you work for the Obama administration, so you'll be fine. Mm. Um, you'll be good. You'll find something. You know, that's, that's a that's a plus. And I'm not that it isn't. I, I totally agree that it, it, it was an honor. And every time somebody looks at my resume, they're totally impressed. Um, but just given the, the context or the situation that occurred with the election, um, so let me just give you, I'll answer the question and I'll link it up into this context just in a second. So, so you can imagine um, after November, so you had people who were working for Hillary who would have normally gone into the Hillary administration, now their job list. You had the people who were hoping for Bernie Sanders to um, become the, the Democratic the Democrat rep uh, rep president, um, uh, uh, the folks who worked for him on his campaign, they were still looking for jobs. And then now you have the Obama appointees who are coming out, uh, thousands <laughs> <laughs> of people coming out who are obvious, none of us stayed, um, obviously, with, into, the, into the next administration, um, unless there was some special circumstance you have so you have those three groups of people all out looking for a job right many of them and many of them in the dc market um because that's sort of like the natural thing to do uh particularly if you if you've lived in DC for a while you know for many the natural thing to do is to stay in dc so a lot of people stayed there aren't that many jobs in dc right. <laughs> so when so to answer your question when i came out um the the odds were just stacked up against me um, because I was competing with people who were on the Hillary campaign, the Bernie campaign, who had deep connections with the Obama administration. Um, so we're all out here hustling for whatever opportunity. And yes, some people left D.C., uh, many people in D.C., um, folks that I know. Um, and uh, uh, sadly, a lot of people um ended up home to their back to their hometown because they just couldn't find anything. Not that there's anything wrong with that. When your heart is set on doing public service or working in DC, um, it, it, it can be, um, um, it can feel like a setback. Uh, so, uh, so a lot of people went home. Um, other people, um, when I started, were still looking. Um, um, so the experience, uh, it, to, to keep it very short, uh, um, it was it was hard. Right. <laughs> it was hard because I was just competing with amazing, amazing people, um, limited number of jobs. And I'll talk about some of the lessons that I, you know, um, learned about networking um, uh, that really ran for me uh, in the end. So how emotionally and mentally, how was that dealing with? the challenge of competing in a very competitive yeah. market for a job? I would say it was the hardest thing next to death. experienced um, death um, early uh, uh, in my 20s, um, a significant death of someone I really loved. And I would say the mental, um, not to say that I died in this experience, <laughs> <laughs> like job search, 
you know, uh, you know, I, I would say they they were equivalent in that um, it just it just felt like nothing was in my control, um, and it felt like that I do to make things better, um, and it, everything felt like um, uh, you know no matter what I did, I wasn't good enough, mm-hmm. um, or I was. Um, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't able to connect with people. I felt like there was something wrong with me that I was one, the one who was, uh, you know, deficient. Right. Way. That, and that's why you weren't yeah. getting the jobs. And that's why I wasn't getting the job. And, and we experienced something traumatic like death, you know, at least for me, things I thought of was like, I'm not worthy of life or I, I, you know, because here's this good person died. And you feel like, you feel like, you know, you're alone. Like you feel like, uh, um, you're not worthy to live because, you know, here's this amazing person should be living. Right. And they were taken away um, and they're taken away. Um, and so I went through this whole like guilt phase. I went through this whole, um, low self-esteem period. It was the same with my job search. Like I, I saw other people getting jobs and um, I was like, okay, I know this person is a bunch of bullshit. Like <laughs> how the hell did <laughs> like, <laughs> um, or somebody who was really good and I'd be like, dang, like there's no way I could have even landed that job. Or like I applied for a job. Like I know <laughs> now I understand why they chose this person. Right. So always at the end of the going back to something that was um, lost in me or, or, um, limiting in myself, which is totally not healthy. Um, and I think that that came out, um, that loss of confidence came out, um, in my views, even when I tried early on, early on, I would say it came out probably very clearly, um, during my interviews, which probably good for me either. (laughs) No. And I, I could totally relate to that because I remember after, um, getting let go from that job, wanting so desperately to to find another job and feeling you know on reflection not at the time that my desperation was probably just like oozing out of my pores like you know that they could smell it on me and um and so that's why you know I was getting a lot of you know you're a great candidate and we really like you but you know what I mean and it's like you know I'd rather you just say you know, you weren't the one as opposed to trying to soften the blow by telling me how amazing I am, but, because, you know, what they say about that, but is that it sort of negates everything that you just said. So yeah, I get it. And, um, it is frustrating because, you know, you have many degrees and you didn't go through all of (laughs) that to not be able to get a job because I don't know about you, but I know growing up, my parents hammered that into me that, you know, not going to university, not getting the degree was not an option because that's the only way you're going to get a job. That's the only way you are going to succeed, especially as a woman of color. So, you know, to be out there in the, in the real world, looking for a job (laughs) and, um, and not getting it with the letters, but, you know, backing you up. It's like, well, what the heck is going on here? What because the heck is, <laughs> Yeah, multiple times. And you're so right uh, um, about um, being a woman of color. I, I mean, one of the, 
I'll, I'll first say that, you know, like my family are, are immigrants. And so my entire life, you know, my parents weren't. Um, my mom had always had a job. My dad has always had a job. Um, from a very um, hardworking family. And, and there's this idea of, you know, quote unquote, independent black woman. And I think it's a total myth. It's like, no, I was raised to be a responsible adult, right. a responsible, <laughs> a responsible adult to me from what I've seen with family and people around me keeps a job. Yes. <laughs> a responsible adult pays her bills yep. or his bills. A responsible adult tries to find ways to get back to their community or to give back to others, or to do something that's greater than themselves. Like, those are things that my entire life I strive to do, and up until last year thought that I was in control of. Um, now, the flip side <clears throat> with, this, with this idea that parents raised us on um, is that it doesn't prepare you for those things that are not in your control. Like, obviously, I did not control the election results. Right. Um, I did not control the job market. Um, I did not control, you know, all of the places that I interviewed and their confusion about what was happening in, in, in the country. I, I, so I think the, the one realization that I had in this process was, you know, we're taught that if you do B, C, and D, you know, these things will occur. And it was made very clear to me last year that as hardworking as I am, um, as degrees as you can have, uh, many people you know uh, you, you you can do the formula correctly, but you're still not in control of everything that happens to you. No, because you can do all those things, and the results are not what you expect them to are be. Are totally not what you <laughs> expected. Absolutely, and in fact, it might the complete 180 degrees yeah. of what you imagined, which um, you know. Be, which ended up being my case. And another, another thing you said that was interesting. So I, if I ever, actually I, I'm in a position where I do hiring, um, but I'm much more sensitive to bull during the interview process because of my experience. Mm -hmm. um, and I, one of the things that, I mean, they tried a, I think wrong way to reject someone. Um, I, there was one instance where, I had gone on, I think, four interviews, um, like four rounds, like multiple each round. I did a writing sample. I did a project. I did all of these things. Um, I had been referred by a friend, uh, like multiple friends. <laughs> um, and uh, I thought I was in the door. Actually, one of their interviews, uh, a gentleman ha had started to talk to me about, like, um, just, like, work-life um, project I, that I could be working on. It's kind of like dating, right? Like, he sort of, like, totally led me to believe that, like, I was in the door. Right. Like, I want. You got it. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, I got it. And I left the interview and, and it wasn't even like my dream position. Like it was, would have just been a good position for, for now entry, but it was still, um, you know, it, it was, it was what it was. So, um, I'll never forget, uh, the night that I, I, I learned that I wasn't selected. I was volunteering and I received a phone call at like seven thirty at nighttime. And I, I 
recognized the 202 numbers. I thought maybe it was a friend or something. It was like the head of the department. And she called to particularly reject me. <laughs> Which was, I, had, I had never heard of, like, no one had ever called right, me. Right, a personal um, rejection. Awesome. A personal <laughs> rejection, which I, I, when I hung up, I was so, like, I cried. I was so mad. Like, how the hell dare she call me? I don't know what, if she would have sent an email, if that would have been any better. But her, her words were actually very kind. She, she, you know, I know you did a lot of work for us. You know, I want you to know that we decided to, go with my, um, you know, internally, uh, who had a little bit more XX experience. And, uh, and it was something like, you know, we don't want you to, we don't want this the last time we hear, from you, you know, that whole spiel. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I, I cursed in my head. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I was like, Oh, thank you. Uh, you know, I appreciate you calling. And, uh, uh, so, I, so my friend remind me like, look, you definitely made an impact so much. They called you that she called you. So don't feel so bad about it. But still it was like, she called to reject me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't about the phone call. It was about what she said on the phone call. Yeah. yeah. I thought she was willing to, to make an offer. That's the stuff you usually do. You yeah. gotta make an offer. I was totally excited when she said her name and I was Oh, yes, this is the one. Right, doing mini celebrations in your head and everything. I'm already <laughs> planning my party in my head like, in the five seconds that she was talking to me. And uh, then she was like, no, I, you know, yeah, I guess all that to say when you when you were talking about the butt part. Yeah. You know, um, it just it just it hits you in ways that you're just like, um, bye. Yeah. <laughs> Who is this other person right. that she chose? <laughs> Let's have a knockdown drag out and see who's the better candidate. <laughs> basically, basically, I, I had an experience actually the very last position um, that I, uh, well, the second to last position that I applied for before I got my current role. Um, similar thing, I had like five rounds of interviews three people at each interview and had all these hoops to jump through. I had, I had multiple people inside. Um, just everything again, ducks lined up. And I, when I, I mean, this one was not a phone call, but it was, uh, they had said on my last, when I submitted my final thing to them, um, like, oh, we'll get back to you in a week. And of course, every single day, every single minute before you're like counting and you can't wait for that day at the end and you don't see anything in your inbox on the fifth day and you're like, refresh, okay, refresh, 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 <laughs> refresh, like triple refresh. And you're checking, make sure your email works, right. checking your phone for random textages, like everything. Sending test emails and to yourself. I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> you're checking everything and so when like 10th day rolled around uh i held the uh, hr person like hey i hadn't heard from anybody sends the email and this like it was like one of those automatic automated generated messages and it's like oh thank you for your application we blah 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 we decided to go with somebody else i was like oh no 
Adam did all of this when we were getting <laughs> personal. You were getting a personal email. So I sent her an email personal. I was like, hey, I just got to be diplomatic. And uh, so I was like, ah, oh, hey, you know, I really meeting with the staff and getting to learn to learn more about the, the company. And I'm always looking for ways to improve my interviewing skills and how I tell my story. Is there anything that you can share about my um, experience or about the, the process so that I can improve? And she sent back the message, um, like, basically, I was the um, out-of-the-box candidate. Um, and that was it. <laughs> oh, wow. And, so she didn't want to elaborate yeah. or give you anything constructive that... Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Basically, I was an experiment. That's what I ended up concluding because she didn't elaborate. So I just concluded that I was an experiment. Maybe um, you know, the, the little black girl was, or maybe trying to pad the, the um, diversity. I don't know. But like, uh, you know, and uh, I went into seclusion for like five days. I didn't check email. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't leave my apartment. The only thing I was doing was getting out of the bed to go pee. Right. <laughs> the necessities. <laughs> and the necessity base and drink some water here and there. I wasn't eating. Um, and I was like, I don't know what else to do. And yeah, that was, that one was the one that hurt. I had hit, by that point, I, I was like December. So I had hit my, I had hit a wall. I was like, I don't really know what else to, <laughs> to do. <laughs> yeah. What would you sucked. say was your, um, <laughs> the biggest lesson from this experience? Um, the biggest is hard. I would say the most important for me personally is to remind myself uh, or, or to, what I've been telling myself, I'm still recovering over the confidence thing, right? So um, I would say it's not, I've learned it's not me. Um, and I need to ensure that no matter what the relation is, whether it's a job, whether it's a date <laughs> or something I wanted that I didn't get, it's not me. It's no reflection of, of who I am um, and what I'm about and my calling in life. And I feel like I, I believe in God and I feel like, um, those things that are not in our control are in control by God or God is controlling those things. And so you just have trust. Um, faith is all about trusting those things you can't see. That's, that's the, the, the basic foundation premise of anybody who is a believer is that those things you can't see, you have to trust that there is a higher power managing those things, the betterment of yourself and for all of us in the world. And so it is unfair and unhealthy to blame myself, to beat myself up uh, for stuff that I can't control. Um, and that's been, been a healing process, a journey still to this day um, for me and and uh, I also think um, as women of color in particular, people of color, I think because of the nature of the world, the way people treat people of color, 
I think it's easy for us to automatically default to it's because I was black. Right. Or it's because we have a funny name. Um, or it's because, you know, I don't look, I, I don't have blonde blue eyes. That is the, the, that is usually the default. But what I learned was, um, we can't do that. We, 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 we can't, I, I'm not saying that those, um, things don't happen, certainly do. But for example, I can't change, um, my skin. I can't change I will not change my name. Uh, I cannot my hair blonde and I will not wear blue contacts. Right. I cannot change these about me. So it is up to the world to adjust to me. Right. Not me, just to the world. So I, I, my greatest lesson is to trust in who I am, that the right person will be me for who I am. The, the HR person, the manager, whoever I will come across those people who are a little bit more advanced in their thinking right? <laughs> and, and can see me for who I am. Because at the end of the day, I don't actually want to work with somebody who automatically thinks that I'm dumb. Or I'm not cool because my name is Sarah Smith, right. which is actually a person. Love you, Sarah. But, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you, you, you get what I'm saying. So I think the less for people of color in particular or anybody who fit the white male western boxes um is to do not conform, do not ever ever conform do not yourself down not um you know do the 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 shucking and jive and dance to make people think that you're capable who you are and and the right you know employer will see that and and those people you want to work for you don't want to work for them to who live in their thinking Absolutely. And I think for me, the biggest lesson in everything that I've been through is that everything happens for a reason. And yeah. you might not see that when you're in it because you want what you want. But um, these things are happening for you, not to you. And I think that that's been something that I have to remind myself of constantly is that I'm not being punished for something because it didn't happen. It's not... I didn't get the job or I didn't get the client or whatever because I'm a bad person or because, you know, yeah. I did something really stupid when I was six years old. It's because it just wasn't meant to be, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think yeah. that um, understanding that and accepting that is huge and that, you know, you can, you can have goals, you can have dreams, you can have desires, but you're not in control of how those things happen. Yes, you can Absolutely. take action on your goals. You can do things. You can meditate. You can pray. You can do all these things. <laughs> but yeah. the thing is, is that you have to focus on the end goal and not be so focused on how that's going to happen. Because the how is what you have to just put your faith in, is that it's going to reveal itself. It's going to come, but you can't you cannot control everything. And um, no. that's been such a huge thing for me. And I, you know, go to networking events and introduce myself as a recovering <laughs> control freak and excuse maker because the struggle is real. And, um, and while I can say logically that I realize that I'm not in control of everything, I still struggle with that sometimes because, yeah. you know, yeah. again, you want what you want and you can want something so bad and you think that you know how it's supposed to unfold and, you just have to humble yourself and realize that you really don't. 
Yeah, I love that. I, that's so spot on, particularly about humbling yourself. Um, uh, I, uh, particularly as like aspiring, leading, you know, driven women. Um, you know, we, and, and I, I was also particularly here in DC where everyone is like, I say these like the, the cat of the valedictorian, right? <laughs> Everybody here is super accomplished went to all the great school. They were, they were the overachiever in high school, right? And so we all descend upon DC. So it's very easy to, to a little cocky. Um, and when things don't go your way, I've seen it, you know, people get upset or, um, you know, they do the temper tantrum thing. Uh, you know, we're adults, so people don't like go around doing crazy things, but you can tell when people are, really disappointed that they didn't get a fellowship or they didn't get the job or they didn't get the connection or whatever it is. So humility is definitely important. And, and experience, I, um, I don't think I'm an overly confident person, but I, I, I'll admit that working for the Obama administration definitely made me feel like I had really done a good job. Like I, I had an opportunity of a lifetime. And so I was humbled um, when I had to pick up a job working, um, someone might call like, um, a blue collar job. Um, and you know, my, my friends, if, if any, if uh, anybody wants to know like what my life has been like, ask my, my, like my bestest friends, they'll tell you <laughs> everything that I like had gone through, but I ended up picking up, I won't say the, the name of the place, uh, cause it's a government agency, but uh, I ended up working for a government agency just to like keep the bills paid and to eat, right? And this job was not glamorous. It was not glamorous at all. <laughs> it got it was godsend because without it, I would not have been able to pay my rent, would not have been able to eat. Um, and the way that I got it was a godsend. But but the job humbled me. Um, and it was a frustrating experience to do because you're, you're not, your skills aren't being utilized in the way that you, they should be utilized. You're having to deal with like really crappy people. Um, I had a schedule that was the complete opposite. So my normal schedule was like nine to five when I was working, you know, regular jobs or not regular jobs, but working in the administration in a job before that nine to five, right? This was a job where I was working um, 3 p.m. until mid. Um, um, and I've never, I never had a job. Hours. <laughs> and um, the people were amazing. Like my coworkers, they were hilarious. They were great. Um, but I was humbled every single day um, by who I was around and just having to go through this sort of like survival. Uh, I, I did that like five months and probably, yeah, five months. And, uh, I, I thank God every day as, as horrible, not horrible, as, as challenging was, um, I thank God every day that I had that opportunity because again, was what kept my lights on and it's what allowed me to continue to like go on interviews during the daytime right. and then in the afternoon went to this job and I sat all day. I was literally sitting at a desk on the phone all day, all night. I would come out at night and I today don't know if it is God. Like I had no money in the 
but I had to Uber home every night because the bus system um, and the train system stopped running in DC at night. So by the time I got out of work, um, I had like maybe five minutes to get to the train station and this was not going to happen. So I somehow was able to afford um, Uber and Lyft um, to go home um, uh, in the evenings and um, so like still able to pay my rent right. and, and eat and eat. Right. So it, it, it was a very mixed that that experience humbled me, but it just to me as someone who believes in God, it just showed me the part of of God and the the importance of just having faith. Yeah, I think that's so important, especially when you're going through challenging times, is to believe that it's all going to work out. That it's I'm, all going to work yeah. out. It's all going to work out. And if you can just be gentle with yourself, just be gentle um, with yourself and be gentle and kind to us as well. I think with the job experience, um, I, I think I had a few moments last year where I probably snapped like on my mom or I got frustrated with friends or something um, uh, frustrated at myself. <clears throat> it's, I think, important to be good to yourself don't be so selfish job experience that you forget to be kind to others yeah compassion is so important compassion is uh, i believe things come back to you so um you put out there uh for others will in turn come back to you so if you're compassionate um, with others people will be compassionate with you Bumi, what would you say is, what advice would you give to somebody who's going through their own um, job hunt right now? Job hunt. Yeah, that's, that, it's really hard because I guess it, it would also depend on, um, to a degree, the industry, uh, maybe the market, uh, your skill set. <clears throat> I guess more so from like a mindset perspective. Uh, mindset. Yeah, from a mindset perspective. My advice would be to, um, first, like we were talking about, stay humble. Um, second is don't get down on yourself. Uh, don't beat yourself up when you lose rejection or things don't go your way. Take a break. Oh my God. Like there was a point was going on coffees, like almost every day. It gets expensive, one, because you've got to track, got to find the money to like get to meet, to meet this in. Then you pay for your coffee, um, or hopefully they're nice enough and they pay for you. <laughs> but but more than likely you're you're paying yourself. Um, but so it it's draining. So like take a break. It it uh, you also need time for the market catch up because if you're if you're in front of your computer. Every single day, applying online, sending emails, trying to set up, you know, informational interviews. <clears throat> uh, you, it's like you just need the time. The, the youth needs, just needs time um, to catch up to you uh, because there's so many jobs out there that you're going to apply for. Yeah. Uh, um, there's only jobs you're going to see. And people email them. They have lots. They're working. <laughs> So they may not get back to you yeah. right away. It's, um, it's bigger than you. 
it's bigger than you. It's bigger than you were on our own, you know, time schedule when we're unemployed because we're, we're so, you know, anxious to land. Um, but the world is not looking for a job. You you are, (laughs) Yeah. You, you just might need to take a break and just allow things, you know, do what they do. Um, and it's just good for yourself to just, you know, use that break time maybe to go for a walk or exercise if you can, or just like do things not related to job search. Um, I started my podcast. <laughs> right. Uh, I started my podcast and my program while I was unemployed. And who would have thought, right? And during that time, I was able to volunteer um, at the radio station. Um, and because I had all this free time, I was able to learn how to edit. I was able to talk with other radio program producers and practice um, interviewing and all of these things that you go through creating a program and podcast. I did while I was unemployed. So it took my mind off of, off of um, the rejection and it took my mind off of just being unemployed. So, so uh, you know, someone could say, well, you need money to do all those things. Yeah, but, you know, you find the money. Um, you find a way. Um, yeah. I'm paying down my credit card debt. I'm paying down my credit card debt right now. So, <laughs> um, so, so I, I say take a break. And then I would, I would definitely say if you've been good people, hopefully you have um, a network of just strong friends who can cry with you, who can pray with you, who can encourage you when you don't get out of the bed um, uh, because you've been beaten down <laughs> by the rejection. I, I, I got this job that I'm in now because... Um, after I, after that last rejection, I went into like my seclusion mode. And, um, during that time I I wasn't checking email. Um, but, uh, a friend of mine emailed me a job during my secluded period. And she was like, I know that you're really distraught about this. I want you to take your time and recover. Um, when you're ready, there's a position for you. I know the executive director, she's fantastic, and I want you to apply. And, uh, I, when I came out of my audition, I saw the email, and the first thing was like, F that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know that they pay me. I don't want to work for a small nonprofit organization because I've seen how that works, and I'm, I'm just not built, so I thought. Um, and in mind, I still had this vision of the type of job that I wanted to be working in. And this was the complete opposite in some ways. Um, so, but without, so I, I obviously I applied, I got the job and it's so, but without her sort of tagging me and just prodding me a little bit, I don't think I would have applied at all. Right. Yeah. I think having a strong support system is so important because we can't get through this journey called life by ourselves as much as we want to be, as you said, independent and everything else. I think that we need that support system, especially when you're going through those challenging times in life. You need those people that you can lean on, those people who can give you that kick in the backside when you need to um, 
to get your stuff together and and be there to be that shoulder to cry on when you need it. I think that that's so important. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of shoulders are, are recovering from my crying. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of crying. Um, and I, you know, one thing that I really, that I learned in this that still blows my mind to this day. Uh, I had this lesson had never been taught to me by anyone. Um, but I learned it in this process and I saw action through another friend. So I learned is do not tell anyone that you're applying for a job. Right. And, and the short explanation is, you know, when people know you're unemployed, they're like, Oh, so how's the job search going? What I was doing is saying, Oh, I've applied to here, 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 here. I applied to this position and I had five interviews, you know, to all the detail, right. <laughs> all the unnecessary detail. And, and I do so innocently, not think, I, you know, and I, and I, and I don't think anybody has like ill will towards me at all, but I've learned that it's better to keep your actions on the low details of your actions on the low. I don't know what it is, but when you say it out loud, I don't know if it's the devil. I don't know <laughs> what, I don't know if there's some negative energy in the universe. I don't know what is, but I believe that there's something out there that will work actively to stop those things from happening. Hmm. And I tell you, I, this last job was the only job, every role <laughs> was the only job where I had not told anybody, sold yeah. anybody other than the friend who like referred me to the position. And I think my mom, because my mom kept asking me like what I was going to do. Right. <laughs> How's that job hunt going? Exactly. <laughs> I felt anybody until after I had accepted the offer. Yeah. And, and now I've seen this happen with other people where all of a sudden you just hear like, the, you're saying, oh, I'm working at such and such a place. It's like, oh, I had no idea that we on the job hunt. Like I had no idea. Right. So I, I, I I've decided going forward. I don't know if it's a superstitious thing. I don't know, but I've just decided that going forward, um, I'm just going to keep my stuff on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> keep, my, keep it my, to yourself. Yeah. Keep it to myself and not verbalize it out the universe because don't know what energy is going to come along to the proof that thing happening. I know that sounds very, very like old school witch tale type of thing, <laughs> but I, I, I've seen it. I'm experienced it and uh, I'm going with it from now on. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I do think that there's something to that because I think you have to be very protective of your goals and that mm-hmm. um, they're not something that you need to share with everyone that you need mm-hmm. to, um, yeah, be very selective about who you tell mm-hmm. your, your, deepest desires to. And, um, yeah, I think that that's something that I've definitely learned as well, because sometimes I know for me, when I decided that I was going to start a coaching practice, when I first started to tell people, and this is what I learned that you shouldn't tell people, not everybody needs to know <laughs> because you get a lot of questions and you got a lot of people who question your choices and don't understand what you're doing because it's uh. not something that they personally would do. And so yeah. if you're not 
truly convicted in what you're pursuing and you have all these people questioning you, it can make you question yourself and make you question whether or not this is something that you should really be trying to do, even though there's something in your heart telling you that this is, this is the thing that's going to, you know, bring us that fulfillment and whatever it is that you're looking for. So yeah, I get it that you have yeah. to be very, very careful because not everybody's going to get it and they don't have to get it. <laughs> I think that's, a, yeah, that's another yeah, lesson yeah. that I've learned is that, you know, you can have dreams and goals and aspirations and not everybody's going to understand it. And that's OK. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally OK. Absolutely. It's totally OK. It's totally Absolutely. OK. And I think that there was a time where I'm like, but you're my friend or you're my family. You should get it and be OK oh, with right. it and be on board with it. And Yeah, it's just really about, I think for me, even in when I was doing the job hunt is managing my expectations and not being like, okay, I have to get this job. This is the job for me. It's the perfect job and there's no other job like it. So I have to get it. And then being so devastated when it didn't happen is to be like, you know what, if it's the job for me, then it's a job for me. And if I don't get it, then it means that there's something else better. And I mean, when people would tell me that when I wasn't getting the job, I didn't want to hear it. (laughs) Oh, it means that there's something better out there for you. It's like, yeah, okay. How much longer do I have to wait for this something better to come around? Because (laughs) (laughs) I needed it like last week, but, um, yeah, but it's just, yeah, but it's all part of the journey, as you say. And I think that your advice of being kind to yourself is, is so great because I think that when we are going through difficult times, it's so easy to beat ourselves up. But I think that you have to realize that this is, we're on a journey and you have to be patient with yourself as you're learning what you need to learn to get through this journey and be patient with the journey itself, because it's not going to happen when you want it to happen. It's going to happen when it's meant to happen. Yep. Absolutely. We say, uh, you know, God's time is the best time. Right. And, you know, that's, that's the truth. If you're not a believer, you know, you say it, it's just not your time. Um, and the part of adulting, just part of growing older is just being okay with that. Yes. Um, that, that you're just, your time is not your time. And I tell this with my mom who, um, I love dearly. Um, there are members of my family who are looking for me to get married and, have children. And I'm like, yeah, you know, (laughs) like I I could, I could go and get married. I could do that. Like right now. Um, I I could go date one and and pregnant myself like right now. Um, but, but no one, um, and two, (laughs) uh, it's just not the time. I can't imagine being unemployed, um, and having a child. Right. Uh, I commend I mean, there's probably a whole nother show you could do about that, but I, I was just trying to manage myself. Um, I was eating, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, I could not really do that for a child. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, and pay for childcare or kid to the doctor if they're sick. Um, we're fortunate to live in the United States where even as crazy as things, we have some basic safety nets like Medicare, Medicaid, um, TANF, all these programs um, to help with people who, who need um, But uh, it's very hard. Uh, and um, I'm thankful that uh, it was just me that I worry about. And so timing is everything. I do not want to, 
I probably would be worse off if I had kids because then I'd feel desperate to take anything. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, and I'd make myself miserable and I'd be making my household miserable and my kid miserable, you know? Yeah. So, so um, I'm definitely a fan or a, pro- a proponent of just respecting time and let time do its, its and um, yeah, it's, it's uh I, my grip my grip on life is definitely a lot looser than uh it was before i guess that's another piece of advice is uh you know when you hold on to something so tight nothing can get in no i am um, years ago i think when i when i first started my journey on this whole personal development stuff i remember i had a cd and i can't remember if it was it was a recording of a conference and it was Louise Hay, Carolyn Mace and uh, Susan Jeffers. And I don't know who said Mm. it, but she talked about, and I think it was Carolyn Mace. And she talked about wearing life as a loose garment. Oh, I love that. And, um, I love that. And I love, and same here. And I think that's why it's stuck in my head. Cause I think it's been over a decade since I listened to that CD. (laughs) (laughs) But when she said that, I was like, Oh, you know what? That's, that's and it visually you get it and um I mean we've all worn something that's you know a size too tight or something like that you yeah. know how <laughs> uncomfortable that is so when she said you know wear wear life like a loose garment I'm like yes who wants to wear yes. life like this skin tight thing that makes me feel like I need to lose five pounds you know like let's you know, let, let's wear let's treat it like something that's flowing and easy and comfortable and not something that's constrictive. And right. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say like everybody has garment. And if you imagine like your the garment as like your purpose, right? Everybody has a purpose. Everybody is going to have the thing, series of things um, that they're just going wear or do case uh the example of, of the garment and I feel like you know what we what happens is if we hold on to this purpose tightly it no longer feels like um, you can cherish and hold like it doesn't feel special it feels like a a, a chore right, a, a burden like a, yeah a burden right like the the jeans it, it might have been it, it's probably like you know the pair of jeans that you love right? You love this thing so much, but every time you wear it, you've got to like lay on your back. <laughs> you've got to get your partner to help you like put your pants on. So it doesn't no longer, it no longer feels like this, the favorite pair of jeans yeah. <laughs> that you once wore. Uh, it feels like a death sentence. Yeah. Every time you wear it. You're looking at and those jeans tell, and it's like, I don't even want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore, right? <laughs> So if we treat our purpose that way, you can imagine that. I think that's why so many people end up giving up in life is because the thing that they're destined to do, they've held on to it so tightly that it becomes more of a burden than it is a blessing. And I, uh, that I, for me, my purpose, I, I feel like my purpose is to sort of maintain a presence in the world as far as foreign politics and foreign policy and bringing people together who normally wouldn't be together and, and really... Um, I feel like my purpose is like to bring experiences to people. And I knew that I knew that I wanted some element of that in my job or in life or, or like wherever I landed. 
And I think that if I had held on so tightly, like I only want to be a foreign service officer. I only want to work at, uh, you know, this international think tank. If I had held on to that so tight, I think I would have missed the blessing and the role that I have now, which I have an amazing coworker. I have a me, although I work like a dog, um, <laughs> I have actually, actually great flexibility where I can work. So I can work from home. I can host working space. Um, I can take a break. Two of us who are full time. So if I just need like a timeout, I can be like, Hey, timeout. I'm going to be offline for a few hours. Right. Like that is, that is, I've deemed just like a more flexible work life, work life, um, than I would have if I'd gone to work, you know, at government agency or at a bigger organization. So, uh, I left some flexibility with my, with my job search and with purpose. So it feels a little easier to wear when I, or it feels a little easier to go into work, um, you know, uh, on days that are tough, um, because, I have some flexibility um, and I didn't hold on so tight to like the vision that I had for myself. Yeah. I think that's a, an important thing to, to, to think about when you're, yeah, whether it's a job hunt or any aspect of your life, really relationships, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I commend you. I mean, you talk, you talked about like your um, switch um, to like this, space if I understand it and you know people don't understand um like what you're doing yeah <laughs> <laughs> and why and and for you people like you people like me like others it takes courage to um to pursue that which is in your heart um and I think like Ed you don't know an explanation to anybody you don't need to explain the garment wearing right. to anybody. Like you see people out here wearing like the most outland outfits and you're like, who told you to put that together? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel that's the, your purpose and the thing that you do your life. You don't owe an explanation to anyone and it takes courage to, to walk in that weird looking outfit or to wear that interesting garment or scarf or whatever. And it takes courage to um, talk to people about um, uh, what is on your heart, even if you're not completely sure exactly how the thing should look. It takes courage. It takes courage to seek that thing. And um, I I would just say for anybody who's looking um, to, to be brave at all times, to be brave enough to stand in, um, what you know about what you want for your life and, uh, but also just be flexible uh, and enjoy the journey as you, as you mentioned. Yeah. Bimi, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for sharing your story, your journey, and, um, all the wisdom that you've gained from the experience. I, I appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been, um, this has been quite therapeutic. I'll say I haven't had a chance yet to fully experience. Um, but, uh, this is probably the first time I think for people who are, who know me, who are listening, I don't think they knew fully the extent of what I was going through. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not, I haven't even said every single thing, but, um, 
I'm just thankful for the opportunity to be vulnerable in this way. I don't normally talk about my feelings with people, um, unless it's my therapist (laughs) or my friends. So I'm just thankful for the opportunity. Well, then I'm grateful that you felt comfortable to share with, with me. Problem. You have a great show and I can't wait to listen. I can't wait to, um, you know, hear what other people are experiencing as well. Yeah. And so if you're um, on the road, walking your dog or exercising at the gym and you want to find out more about Boomi and her podcast, you can check that out in the show notes and um, yeah, and learn more about her and what she's all about. And so that is it for today. Have an awesome week, guys, and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much, Sandra. Thank you. Take care.